Bling blong, everyone, and welcome to a Talking Mission Hill special presentation. I am one of your hosts for this one, Bob Mackey, who is here with me as always. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, proudly wearing my Gus t-shirt as we uh, as we are in the afterglow of quite a fun day. A great hour-long conversation with Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, the creators of Mission Hill. Of course, you know them as the showrunners of Simpsons Season 7 and 8. They were writing on the show from Season 4 before that, and obviously they've done a lot of great stuff since then, but we got to talk to them all about Mission Hill in a Mission Hill specific interview because we just finished our Talking Mission Hill limited miniseries on our Patreon. Now there's a very good chance that you're listening to this as a patron on our Patreon and if so, thank you. But we are also putting this out on the Talking Simpsons feed so more people can listen to it. So if you're curious, we just went over the entire season of Mission Hill using the Talking Simpsons treatment and uh, the first episode of that was on the Talking Simpsons feed a few months ago. But if you want the rest of the episodes, there are 13 more of them Mm -hmm. that cover uh, all the episodes and one episode about the unproduced episodes to listen to those you need to go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons and sign up at the five dollar level you'll get all of talking mission hill and also all of our uh, limited mini series we've done before that and anything we do in the future as long as you stay a patron so yeah yeah oh and our previous interviews with bill and josh actually are, are part of your five dollar sign up too that's right i think this is our third chats uh we've mm. done two josh weinstein interviews uh two bill oakley interviews maybe three if you count the live show yeah so we talked to them a lot <laughs> and we, so we somehow find new things to ask them every time, especially because we haven't really talked too much about uh, Mission Hill with them before because uh, we hadn't watched the series in a while before doing this miniseries. And now we came preloaded with so many questions about Mission Hill. You're going to learn so much about it. We got so many details that they've not revealed before. We asked them about, you know, episodes they didn't do commentary for on the DVDs. And if you've listened to the Talking Mission Hill, you know that me and Bob often have said, boy, I'd like to ask Bill and Josh about this or like we, so we tried to remember all the things, uh, the most important questions that were burning for us in the podcast. We did questions about Yale, about their voice acting, all these things. Mm-hmm. Like the, we learned a whole lot from this interview. And of course we talked plenty about the possible upcoming show, Gus and Wally, and you'll hear all of that in our interview with Bill and Josh. So please enjoy. So we are here with Bill and Josh, and guys, we are uh, at the very end. We just finished our Mission Hill podcast, and as we're doing it, we're hearing internet buzz <laughs> yes. all over the internet of this uh, this new Wally and Gus uh, potential show. We wanted to start off the interview by asking about this because we're very excited about uh, mm-hmm. this potential program being somewhere. So are we, somewhere <laughs> other than our computer. <laughs> yes, our computer and our heads. <laughs> right. Uh, but well, when did you guys start talking about this or thing? I mean, I'm sure since you know the for the last couple decades, you've been wanting to do more Mission Hill. But but what was the impetus for for this new discussion and planning of uh, of a sequel series? It was in October. I don't even remember what the inspiration for it was. It was in October, and for some reason, it just occurred to us that it was that it might be a good time to try to bring it back. But I don't know, like, I think the thing is we had thought about it multiple times over the past couple of years because there had been talk about a Mission Hill comic book. Do you remember this, Josh? Like about yeah. three or four years ago, yes. we were going to do a Mission I actually had several meetings with the publisher about it. And there were a couple different ways to go. Like, I think we actually decided on the, the final incarnation before we just said, fuck it, was a was two different versions of Mission Hill that had gone, one had gone really well and one had gone really badly in the mm-hmm. future. Do you remember this? Right. And then, yes. and one of them, like Andy had reached his dreams and become Matt Groening and, and uh, things were going really well. And the other one, things had not gone well. And it was going to be Mission Hill Light and Mission Hill Dark. And there'd be two different comic book lines. And then I think we just decided that like, it was going to be a huge amount of work and you know to maybe have like 200 people read it and yeah it just kind of fell by the wayside that but that's point. still i maintain that's still a great idea to do both oh yeah it yeah. is kind of funny i mean i suppose that we could have flash forwards in gus and wally if we ever did that because they're going to be flashbacks we'll get into that in a second anyway yeah. so sometime <laughs> around october uh it suddenly occurred i think it was i think it was to me but we talked about it almost yes, immediately was what if we emphasized, what if we made the show more about Gus and Wally? I mean, Gus and Wally were our, our favorite. Well, we liked writing for all the characters, but they were by slight, a slight margin our favorite. And it just seemed like a good time to maybe launch a show 
You know why it was? Because there's been so much crazy anime. It used to be that you had to launch animation that would appeal to a large audience. And now you don't. You can launch an animated show that only appeals to a few thousand people, assuming you can get the money for it. And we were like, and I don't think even five years ago, we would have thought that it was feasible to launch a show where Gus and Wally were the stars. But now it seems like it's possible. So I somehow it just occurred to me, like, what if we made the show the same pretty the same show pretty much, but with increased emphasis on Gus and Wally and with flashbacks. Right. And that's and the I'll, big difference. Yeah. And also part of the figures because Gus so like Andy Andy moved to Mission Hill, you know, now a couple of years ago, a few years ago. But Gus and Wally have lived there for like forty or fifty years. So there's the whole history of Mission Hill and their history. So it's like it's a whole we always felt like that's a whole rich world that we didn't explore, except in that one wonderful, maybe the best episode about mm. Gus and Wally's love story. Oh, I was going to say that a number of people on Twitter have expressed alarm that the <laughs> other characters are not going to be in it. And let me make everybody put everyone's uh, fevered minds to rest that it, of course, the other characters are going to be in it. It's <laughs> essentially the same yeah. show as Mission Hill, except there's more Gus and Wally and there's flashbacks. So, like, what I mean to say is there probably won't be quite as much Kevin and Andy, although there'll still be plenty of Kevin and Andy. There's going to be a lot of uh, slightly more Gus and Wally and also flashbacks. And that's part of the thing we wanted to do is is tell stories. And, you know, there's a lot of shows that, that kind of have that operate in two timelines um, these days. And we wanted to have episodes, some episodes that dealt with what it was like in Mission Hill in the 50s and 60s and 70s and deal with alternative lifestyles, not and not just being gay, but also like the whole world of beatniks and hippies mm -hmm. and the whole 70s kind of S thing with the swingers and all that stuff. There's like, <laughs> there's so much alternative lifestyle material from America all for the second half of the 20th century that's never been dealt with really on TV. Yeah, and we and wanted especially to have an animated show, yeah, mm -hmm. where it's like, it's about, it's also about the history of alternative America. Oh, yes. that's so that's cool. awesome yeah. yeah we were talking about this on our podcast and we were hoping that it would be a period piece because uh we feared that gus and wally couldn't survive this long and also <laughs> i don't want to see any fiction me uh, written after what are like you 2018. About? <laughs> he is immortal he could be immortal yeah, but like i kind of want to revisit the cushy 2000 uh yeah. era. <laughs> specifically anything before 9-11 yes i think that's <laughs> yeah that that's a theoretical like we decided that too and that I can't tell you how many times we've debated this over the years. If Mission were to come back, would we age it up? We would make it today. And we, this, the answer is no. It's a time capsule. And it exists almost exclusively in the world before 9-11. So theoretically, the show never gets to 9-11. <laughs> um, in, in, in not only in Gus and Wally, but in just in the, in the universe, I think, because it's, it's a capsule of that era. Uh, so that's, you know, people have been asking about that, too. And I think in theory, we're never going to arrive at that date. No, that's great. I, and, and yeah, that last episode is uh, the, the Gus and Wally one is, I think it is my favorite. I think we gushed about it quite a lot when we did. And also like uh, my husband, he'd never seen it before uh, until he watched it with me for doing the podcast. And he seriously had like tears in his eyes at the, uh, at the end of it. Like the, that's that, great. It was so, yeah, it's really touching to, to us. Yeah. We should make sure to give Dan McGrath credit for that because honestly, yeah. Dan McGrath first draft of that thing was brilliant. And so much of the material that you see on screen and you love just came right out of his head. And like, I don't want to be a credit hog. I want to make sure that Dan gets the credit for crafting a lot of that backstory um, in that episode, specifically all the movie stuff and, yeah. and kind of the whole Ed world of the Ed Wood characters and the man from Pluto, which I think he wrote mostly by himself. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, Bill, I don't know if you're leaving clues behind for the fans, but I remember a very suspicious Instagram uh, story with uh, John Vitti. And I remember telling Henry, like, John Vitti's in this in this story. They're working on something. I know it. We only talk about food. Vitti and, uh, and his wife and I correspond quite a bit about, uh, about food these days. Uh, so, and, and he's actually really popular. He's as my get most as my most popular guest reviewer. I'm always trying to get him to review new stuff because people think he's really handsome. Uh, like he said, he's like John Ritter. <laughs> it's always great to hear from him. We just interviewed him not too long ago. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I I'm hoping you know yeah that the but right now the Gus and Wally show is is a is a twinkle in your guys' eye. But I really hope that it uh, like you guys are that the move movement starts happening on that because I uh, it's 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 too good of a tease. We do too. 
some of the movement has already happened. I would say right. it's not just an idea. It's already a document. It's already a, we have a working at a deal, attempting to working out a, a deal with Warner Brothers. Um, and I believe we'll take it out. Now, there's no guarantee that any of these places will buy it because Mission Hill is an expensive show with a very devoted but not huge fan base. So I'm hoping that we will sell it to HBO Max or something like that. But there is no such guarantee. Hmm. Yeah, though, I mean, you know, now, right now, animation, like, that's uh, that's a work-from-home kind of show. Like. <laughs> yes, it can be done. And also, the cool thing is, with, with all the talk about it on the internet, we've seen even more fans come out of the woodwork. And it's, like, it, yeah. a really overwhelming amount, which is great. And so we feel like there is, there's the audience for it, the audience that's kind of been waiting. And the audience, a lot of them, people were kids or teens at the time. And so now they're, like, now they're right around or just past Andy's age, so it's kind of <laughs> perfect for that too. Uh, also, I mean, this is the thing—the eternal problem with this kind of thing—is that the art. Let's just say, that without being too braggy, <laughs> Mission Hill has a lot more substance than a lot of these other shows. I mean, you—you've seen with the, the laundry list of shows that are returning, and I would say that we're not quite like that. Sh- like, we're not a show that twelve-year-old boys are going to immediately love. <laughs> um, this show is particularly the Gus and Wally version is actually going to require a fair amount of interest in like cultural history and things. It's still going to be funny, but it's not going to just be a gag fest. And, and in our experience, it's always been hard, harder to sell shows that are not gag fests. Man, I, I am hoping for the best and have my fingers crossed. I hope that we're our show, us covering mission Hill has helped to spread the word a little bit to, and help with this too. I, I, I bet yeah. it has, and I, I, we're grateful for that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we'll have more to cover in the future, hopefully. Yeah, uh, but I yeah. guess we can get into our questions. We're trying to cover stuff that we haven't really heard in past Mission Hill interviews, so hopefully you guys haven't answered these questions a thousand times. But uh, I guess we can start off with, uh, we had just actually interviewed Lauren McMullen um, recently, and it was great to talk to her. And we were just wondering, like, uh, how did you find her, uh, and how did she enter the project initially? I want to say also, Lauren, before we move on from Gus and Wally, oh, sure. Lauren is involved in Gus and Wally, too. That oh, was awesome. Exciting development of the past six months yeah. is that she indicated that she wants to be involved from the ground floor and is going to come with us to the meetings and is going to do play basically reprise her old role as the genius visual genius behind the whole enterprise so um uh, that is another thing that we are, are extremely excited about that's Amazing. great yeah, yeah i wasn't sure how much you could say but that's great she just actually just sent a, a bunch of stickers yeah. uh, vintage mission hill stickers oh my god i ran out of those because for a year for the last 20 years i stick them on the luggage when we travel because they're so bright and easily identifiable and i finally ran out like two years ago so oh, those are very i rare. got like four left yeah they are, they are i don't want to stick them on anything yeah they're too yeah, valuable yeah. to actually be stuck <laughs> to things but also i said lauren lauren is is a true true animation genius so it's like she's like she's like an equal equal person in this in this show and, and how good it was. And you, you met her in college, uh, or a bill, I think, didn't you? Did, were you working on the uh, Harvard, the Lampoon at the same time? Yes, Lauren was president of the Lampoon um, on the first year I was on. And she was one of the best. We had a, It was a weird time where we had three of the best artists of the century on at the same time. Her and Paul Felix and Mel Haran. Um, and Paul Felix went on to, you know, he's a big wheel at Disney and stuff. And like, but Lauren was amazing she was elected president and she was um she had an uncanny ability to also work in a lot of different styles too like she would like if you said we want this to draw be drawn like the comic strip nancy or or the wizard of id like she could do it and this was she was only 20 19 or 20 years old and so like we worked with her uh many many times and we we're also friends with her just like socially and i don't even remember what happened with mission hill we were like didn't we we tried to get her on at the ground floor didn't we i remember sending her the first draft of the script yeah yeah Gosh. yes yes because i still have also like some very early like her thoughts that she had on it and stuff she yeah i think she would i think we needed her and wanted her from the very beginning or you know two weeks after coming up with it yeah yeah and i think we talked about it like i think we sent her stuff from the beginning i mean remember she did all the very first drawings. She she's the only one who ever did any drawings permission hill and we had all these discussions i still have those things i have those faxes yeah. literally old yellowed faxes hmm. with all the different um incarnations of what andy might look like and what kevin might look like so yeah she was on from the ground floor with this thing and i don't i think she had already directed episodes of king of the hill and and maybe even simpsons at that point i think she, yeah i think she had maybe just done king of the hill she was yeah she had done, done yeah. critic yeah. and then king of the hill critic, uh, yeah. and then you guys yeah. oh yeah the critic yes right that's right yeah 
Oh, that's uh, yeah. I had uh, I had heard in another interview, Bill. You say like she's basically a co-creator on it. I think we've uh, after doing this podcast, we've really come to appreciate like her uh, influence on the show much more too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's totally because also if you Absolutely. look at if if you look at like the drawings and the official drawings, there's like a signature like a Matt Groening, but it's it's Wom, which is Weinstein Oakley McMullen. Oh, I never know. Oh, yep. that's so cool. So it's not in yeah. everything, but it's just in some things. Hmm. So, but it was like from the beginning. It's all the it's stickers like, and stuff. Yeah, it's like it's us three. So, um, okay. So when you guys were, uh, you know, working on the pitch for Mission Hill, did you guys have any other shows you were pitching as part of your deal at uh, at the production company, or was was it really all on Mission Hill? That was a golden era of yeah. people wasting money on TV writers, <laughs> like. There's so every TV writer was getting a big deal. And like the, all you had to do was just come up with a show and pitch it. And because there was such a lucrative, um, you know, uh, you know, syndication market back then for f- shows like friends and Seinfeld or whatever. And like, so every sitcom writer was thought as thought of as a, a very valuable commodity. And it was like, they pay you just to sit in your office and come up with an idea, one idea. So yeah, no, that was what we were doing. And uh, we pitched it like, this show was not an easy sell either. Like we wanted to sell it. To, I remember every one of those meetings where people rejected it. And I remember the things they said and it drove me still echoes in my head. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> well, Josh I, will be able I, to do his impression. No, I, uh, yeah. Tell me. Cause I, I seriously blocked them out. Except <laughs> like it's, it must've okay, been traumatic, this, but tell me. Uh, this I'd say, okay, this just a preamble. I've always been wary of these times where people are like, it's an animation boom. People are buying animation because those are the times where we never sell our shows. This, and that, that's what people are saying now. And that's that's why I, I keep my fingers crossed for Gus and Wally. Uh, at this time, everybody was buying shows, uh, animated shows, most of which were a catastrophe. If you remember these ones on NBC, I'm not going to say their names because I, the people who worked on them, God bless them. You know, we all are on the same boat in this stupid business. But anyway, <laughs> there are a lot of shitty animated shows on in 1999, 2000. Um, we pitched our show to, I think the first place was Fox. And I remember that, I remember that meeting and it sucked. And then we pitched it to NBC. And I remember a number of the criticisms, which Josh, I'm not, uh, you know, we would continuously repeat in a sarcastic way for years thereafter um, about it, how being it was animated rent and how the character was a loser and all these certain things that <laughs> the president of NBC said. Um, and I think we even may have pitched it to see. Anyway, so we finally ended up at the WB and the WB at that time was like, it, no, nobody knew what it was. It only had a few shows on and they were shows like there was an exercise show about a gym and there were a number of different weird shows that were on in this first couple years at the WB before it decided to become the teenage girl network. Um, and we pitched the show to them and they were like, they loved it. They loved it. They loved it. And they immediately bought 13 episodes and it was the greatest sale of our career. <laughs> um, and then the sad story of what happened as if you may recall, if you're old enough is that during the time after we sold it, but before it came on the air, it suddenly became the teenage girl network. Like they bought Buffy, Buffy suddenly became a huge hit. Mm-hmm. And and they put on a whole bunch of other shows of, of that t- type, uh, you know, like Roswell and blah, 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 blah. And when our show came on, it was this weird redheaded stepchild that had no place on the network. Um, they still had this weird night of, of shows for an African-American audience like Jamie Foxx and Steve Harvey, which also we didn't belong in. Um, and they just stuffed us in there. and We were canceled after two episodes. Hmm. The end. It's <laughs> uh, a succinct way of putting it. Yeah, now that... Uh... Yeah, the, it, well, also, why did they uh, why did they skip the second episode in the order that it's on the DVD? Because it it went straight from the the pilot to porno for Pyro and skipping the uh, the great sex expectations one. I believe that they thought that the porno for Pyro was the most likely to get attention. There were two different yeah, things, and a lot of this, a, a small amount of it, has to do with our own hubris, mm. being <laughs> that we were in a number of things where we were insistent that the show had to be on in the fall which was ultimately i think a mistake and we but they listened to us because it probably should have been on in the in the winter like most animated shows debut in the winter um yeah, they should have slightly we were like on but we were we lobbied them and we succeeded in, in getting that on the show in the uh, schedule in the fall and we also were like it has to premiere right after buffy and we were like because for some reason we thought that like the young teenage girl the teenage girl audience of buffy would appreciate mission hill and they really did not so they put the pilot on right after buffy at our insistence and it totally did, it did very shitty ratings because people did not cross over from buffy to mission hill and then 
I think that they selected the Porno for Pyro one as possibly the most dynamic, you know, the one episode that would get the most people talking. Hmm. So that was the first one that they, they decided to broadcast. And I don't even remember if they broadcast another one after that. Because, you know, it's a sexy episode with, with Kevin in the bathroom of a bodega. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh, yeah, I think the next one didn't air until, like, June after that, I think. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Oh, oh. I was going to ask, uh, so we just revisited the whole series, and structurally, we definitely noticed that, unlike your Simpsons episode, for the most part, uh, a lot of Mission Hill has a lot of these uh, modular B-plots that end up uh, disappearing by the end of the only season. Was that something uh, you wanted to do or you were intending to do from the beginning? Uh, because uh, towards the end, your stories were getting too big for these smaller uh, B-plots to fit in. I think that was a fact that it was a symptom of the stories being too big. Like Gus and Wally, uh, the episode Plan 9, originally had a subplot, which was about, which I think appeared in one of those Lost episodes, which was about the SUVs. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, that's. In... A, I think it's in one of those last five episodes where yes. Andy and where, where Andy and Jim are driving around and are annoyed at yuppies and SUVs, and they finally get a combine. Yeah, that's in the yes. Yale script, I believe. The death of a Yale man one. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was moved into that because that was originally in McGrath's script, which made it way, way, way too long. So we just cut it out, hmm. and I think that's because the nature of the stories. Certain stories require a huge amount of real estate, and that was one of them. And uh, did you? Uh, were there any other like B plots you you didn't le- use that you had like plans for? Like the, uh, like I mean that edible couch one is was a pretty. I think that's my favorite of the modular B, B plots. Did hmm. did you have any others you weren't able to use? I don't know that we have too many modular ones. Honestly, some of this stuff is going to appear in Gus and Wally, oh, so uh, I'm not well. going to spoil it. There are a few. Uh, I would say there's at least twelve episode or you know, runner ideas that we've fished out of our old files that are now part of the Gus and Wally canon. Oh, great. Awesome. Um, yeah, that were fantastic. And, we, so it's Yeah. Cool. So those, uh, I'm not going to give those away. I would say that the only episode that we didn't do that we really wanted to do was this Christmas episode um, where they were going to go to Wyoming to uh, to visit the French French's parents. And there was a number of crazy stuff. I just remember a lot of different scenes that were pitched for that, like Jim having to go outside and smoke in like the, in the you know, in the blizzard outside, <laughs> and 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 the, and the parents, how the parents deal with Andy and Kevin together. There was a lot of fun stuff, but that was the only episode that probably will not appear in Gus and Wally. That was a Mission Hill lost thing. Did you guys have any plan? You know, there's not a lot of guest stars on this show. Did you guys have any plans for guest stars in in Mission Hill that uh, that you weren't able to get or did? Uh, or no, I don't think we've never. I think like we're never huge fans of guest stars unless it's like some. We just like crazy old people like Lawrence Tierney and yeah. stuff, <laughs> and we never like it. It I I maintain that it's not a huge draw to have a guest star unless it's somebody who has like an amazing voice. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't even recall that we wanted Eunice to be a, a guest star, but then um, Michael Payne, who was friends with Jennifer Jason Lee was like she would love to do it and then we were like oh fantastic hmm. but i, I don't yeah. recall that we ever had, a, had any ambition to have a lot of guest stars because also we had such a good cast and like i didn't really care like it, in retrospect it seems like we actually kind of were anti-guest star now that, <laughs> as you said it josh yeah because also it's all people like like nick jameson and tom kenny and all these people like can do so many different voices or like charlton Hestopoulos or whatever like those <laughs> yeah. guys are great mimics so unless there's somebody who's like oh jennifer jason lee is really great and she's friends with somebody on the show that's that's that was it and like like dave thomas who we had worked with before so we wanted him you know as a teacher and stuff but and mr Newmeyer. yeah yeah oh god he's so good is that <laughs> is that old war criminal i love it. he's so good yeah that. was your role as showrunners any different on mission hill in terms of how you ran the room compared to the simpsons we didn't really have a room that on mission hill i remember this distinct this is where we invented our new style of working which is not which is not room. The room only exists for pitching out the stories. Okay. And at this point, I, rem- I distinctly remember when we made that decision, which was after the first table read. And we came back and we, this is, we had this dumb schedule where we we're going to have to record the episode the day after the table read. And we sat down with the whole writing crew and go, okay, let's see if we can get a better line for this. And it took like about an hour to come up with one better line. And I, I think we just left the room and I did this conversation. We're not going to do it this way. Hmm. And first of all, and we moved the recorder. We, we told Colin to move the recorder a week down the road and we disbanded the room and everybody, this is where we've used this system on every show we've done since. Yes. Then, which and is basically well. the room. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's so much better than the room. The room exists for the story, and and you can spend three days in the store on the story pitch if you want to in a deep dive, talk about every little thing. But then it's up to the writers. And like, then we would basically do once the script came in, Josh and I, Josh or I, or actually Rachel, my wife who worked on the show, um, or uh, or Haynes one time, Dan McGrath one time, would kind of do a pass, and then we'd assign to the writers like come up with. Come up with five different funny signs for this bodega. Hmm. Come up with a funny response to this. And people would just turn them in and we would put them in the script. And or we get, would have someone else put them in the script. Yeah. You get and you get by doing that, the modular system, you you literally get like ten times more jokes than you would normally get. Hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. That makes the one thing that you don't get is like people riffing off each other and improving the joke and whatnot, which but I think that there's times for that. Like you can do that at the animatic rewrite or yep, whatever. Yep. You don't you don't have to do that. The room like the room is in my experience, the room is a vast waste of time, especially since the invention of cell phones. Mm. <laughs> where people are looking at their yeah. cell phone half the time, it's like you could do the you could you could do do twice the work and be gone by 3:30 or 4 p.m. if everybody was just paying attention or everybody was just writing the stuff on their own. Um so yeah, that's like the way we've been working really for over 20 years now. Okay. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Dan McGrath, and in our interview with him a couple of years ago, he mentioned what what a great office you guys had set up for Mission Hill, and that it was uh, that. I think he mentioned that he he joked that it that's how he knew it was too good to last because it was such a great office with the that you guys had set up. Yeah. He's so right. He's so right, man. It was so good. <laughs> like it, it was like it was like because it was just a place in Santa Monica. It was a kind of in its own building. I mean, there are other offices. And in fact, the, when we moved in, the office next to us was Neil Young's production company where he had his, all his model trains <laughs> wow. set up and stuff. But then he was he was moving out. But it was just like a really comfortable office. And there were nice cafes and restaurants nearby. And every every writer had their own nice – everyone had their own nice office. And it was just – it was just really comfortable. Plus, there, yeah, it was. It was really. It was also kind of nice and moderate. Like it wasn't like a sh crappy old rundown place in Burbank where most people have to work these days. It was like a. Yes. It was a modern building that was brand new. That was kind of like a you know an internet back in the internet bubble days. Like I think there was some internet company that had the whole second floor, and it was, as Josh said, you could walk to stuff. It was a really nice neighborhood. Hmm. It was really good commute, and like also it was a really good staff. Plus we had part. We had parties man we had parties that you couldn't get away with these days like that party the christmas party where there was the silver christmas tree with all that crazy shit hanging out do you remember that yes i remember also no. like our our lawyer our lawyer got really drunk our <laughs> old lawyer. Was oh yeah we had a, we had several parties that were really raucous and um like you couldn't get away with it because people were drinking today these days people were really drinking a lot and and it was there was a lot of music and like we just the office was really fun huh. Like yeah, people some would people stay there slept, overnight. Yeah, people slept <laughs> yeah. in the office, yes. which now, you couldn't get away with. Now. Uh, but but also, you guys like you predicted. Are you uh, there's lines in the one where the SAT episode where uh, Kevin and his friends are talking about how like oh the children and baby boomers are trying to get into college and it's going to be harder than ever like they that that is a giant problem now 20 years later yeah we i don't is that from that is that is that from death of a yell man i don't even remember that that's i, I haven't SAT read that episode one. in so long that that's from the sat yeah, one where yeah. they're they're figuring out how they need to get you know electives and everything. okay yeah. yes no i uh, we did not i i have I don't recall the line you're speaking about. Okay. So sorry. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Uh, so we wanted to know. But that's, that, that's one thing to touching on that though, is I think, I mean, this is what people who get canceled say, but this show, <laughs> the show was ahead of the time Yeah. where it's like, it feels like it's much more relevant today with everything than it was. Then it was then I, I made, then it felt like a weird niche thing. But it's so much, and like even people living in sections like Mission Hill have become much more prevalent now, and even more so like ten years ago. And so it feels like now is the right time for it. I and agree. especially if Gus, I would go so far. About so many things. But go ahead. I would go so far as to say that that also holds true to some extent with our Simpsons episodes, hmm. which I do not believe yeah. anybody liked all that much when they were initially on yeah. in 1995 and 1996. But now we can't, you can't stop hearing about them. And I think that something, you know, people grew up with a certain sense of humor and have now adapted to that. Like the same reason that people didn't like Conan when he was first on, but then he just, now everyone loves him. He's doing the same stuff. Hmm. 
Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. That's just my my observation is that perhaps the stuff we were doing <laughs> was wasn't really liked at the time, but it's gotten a little bit more liked over the past 20 years. So we wanted to know also uh, what the root of all the Yale mockery, uh, what that is, and if that uh, came from you and your friends uh, trying to get into the Ivy League. Uh, there's a lot of that in the series. Mm-hmm. And how close was that to your own stories? Well, I got re- I got rejected from Yale. Uh, I applied early. I thought you were waitlisted. No, no, I didn't even get waitlisted. I just got rejected. Uh-huh. I, I applied early, oh. and I think then that maybe I was waitlisted, but I may have just been outright rejected. So I hate them. But it's also I come. <laughs> yeah, it, it comes also from I think the old Harvard rivalry as well. Mm. Right, right. Well, Kevin seems like that kind of person. I don't. It seems very organic to Kevin uh, yeah. that he would be the type of person who would want to get into Yale rather than Harvard or Stanford or whatever. That he would specifically set his sights on Yale is is a in my experience, a kind of specific type of person who tends towards the Kevin E. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, was the then the Yale stuff. Uh, I couldn't tell if the Yale stuff was like general Ivy League, you know, bashing or specifically about uh, the type of Yale man. that. The, I that think it's is. kind of both because it's general, too, because like because like Andy and Jim went to Borchmore, <laughs> which, which seems like kind of like not not a great school. <laughs> and so I think it's, it's a party school. That. Yeah, yeah it's a big it had, school. didn't have more drinking deaths. More, more drinking deaths than any other school, but not inclu- not even counting the hazing deaths. Right? <laughs> that's what that's what he said. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that seems like an expensive. It still seems like a pretty fancy school because you know that's it's a swart. It sounds like Swarthmore or whatever, and it sounds like an expensive school where you get a crummy education and spend a, uh, still have to pay a lot of tuition. Uh, another thing with Kevin's character that hit me only in this uh, in depth rewatch was like what a young republican he is like his like yeah. he's he's such a kid libertarian on top of like yeah. just in the first episode when he said like his favorite he mentioned dilbert and robert heinlein and i was like well okay the, <laughs> i get these uh, t- uh red flags now like was was that also your intention with kevin those weren't so crazy back then right like yeah. certainly dilbert <laughs> was it well. dilbert was on at the same time as we were on UPN, and I really liked—I liked Dilbert. I thought it was really funny. I don't recall that everybody knew that Scott Adams was a kook. And yeah, so I think because like the, Repub- the Republican vampire was our early proto guy, mm. who now is probably like a congressman or something. But yeah. he, but he, but he, but Kevin is more just like a, a type of nerdy guy that we knew, as opposed to like I think like early early proto republic. I think your point is well taken though. I could easily see that have been the case that yeah. he would have been that he could have been a Republican in, the, in in that time and I think uh, perhaps the seeds of it were there. I think uh, while watching it we were like uh Kevin is going to become Ben Shapiro if Andy uh, doesn't intervene. Oh, God. oh Jesus yeah. Christ. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's perfect. Now, well that's that's what I I see then Andy's, you know, dirtbagginess as like a heroic thing that he's saving Kevin from just a life of like sheltered hatred of other people. I think that's what happened. Like if expre- ex- extrapolating from where the series ended past the point of Gus and Wally, I believe that, Ke- that you're correct. That living with Andy ultimately did change Kevin away from becoming a Ben Shapiro type <laughs> and probably made him a better person. And that's what I imagined. That was what was going to be in Mission Hill in the Mission Hill light comic book. In my recollection was that, that Kevin really looked up to Andy. That Kevin had gotten, I think that I recall that we couldn't, didn't, weren't quite sure what was going to happen with Kevin, but he was going to be doing pretty well in a really boring field, like printers. Like he was a silicon, <laughs> he lived in Silicon Valley, but he worked at a printer, he was high up at a printer place. And it was, he didn't have any, you know, it wasn't glamorous. So he was always trying to glom on to Andy's glamour and come visit Andy, you know, who, who lived in a macrating lifestyle and try to glom on to his, his, because his, he envied him, you know, and that's probably kind of the secret. I thought a secret. That's what the whole engine of Mission Hill is that Kevin looks up to Andy, but would never want to admit it. Also, the show had a real like video uh, with the with the kids on the show. They really felt like they you guys understood video games on a level that I think no network show in 1999 oh, yeah. did. Like you, you guys really seem to be knowledgeable of the video game world. That including like a very. Uh, it's such a tragedy that you guys did a great Ultima Online parody, uh, but then by the time it came out, people weren't playing Ultimate Online anymore. Uh, you know, I think that attribute to that is that we had a fairly young staff. We had, you know, a number of people who were in their early twenties writing on the show, and also I was playing those video games at the time, reading and reading a lot of like P 
PC Gamer magazine and stuff. So we kind of like, we had a bit more knowledge of that and a bit more ability to, you know, you can't do that kind of stuff on a live action show. And so Friends wasn't doing a lot of video game stuff to my knowledge, nor was Seinfeld. So like we were able to kind of stuff it onto the air again, because also we were in a rare position of people not really caring what we were doing, (laughs) which is the best position to be in. And also the show had teen characters, which, which, which was one of the Genesis original Genesis of a show is because like the Simpsons didn't have that. And there was no real like animated show dealing with it when you're the ages of like 17 to 23 or whatever. And that's was one of the original things were like, let's do a show about that. And there's also was no show about older gay people in their 60s either. <laughs> so one thing uh, I thought that was very astute, and I'm not sure if you guys knew you were doing it at the time, but um, it does feel like a lot of the show is a commentary of the relationship between Gen X and millennials. No one was talking about millennials, but you can see how these different factors inform both Andy's lifestyle and attitude and Kevin's. Like Andy had a, a, things a little easier as a Gen Xer. Things were a little cushier. And Kevin is one of the first millennials like going to college, and there's way more anxiety, way more pressure, and he's about to encounter a lot of horrors in his adult life that the show obviously didn't cover uh i think that was an accident i don't know that we were trying to make that generational commentary it was just because the two brothers were two mismatched brothers and that i guess looking back yes you're totally right but i think that the generational commentary was merely a coincidence because they were both of that they're both of that age group yeah right, and also because we were we were gen x and so that's like andy and jim kind of like mirrored some of our like job experiences or people of people we knew or for example like aaron ehas who's a few years younger than us but he wrote the unemployment episode which like really speaks to that yeah i think there was there was so much left unsaid in the show but it's there like andy is clearly uh the first child that uh they didn't know what they were doing and kevin is the younger child and uh, what the typical criticism of millennials is just like you had helicopter parents, they they coddled you. And that's often the case with the second child in general. But I can see a lot of that commentary was there, even though you you said you didn't really know you were writing it. Yeah, that's well, weird. I think that that's Yeah, that's true. I don't, the commentary about the generations were not there, but we're definitely the first and second child thing definitely is throughout that is infused throughout that whole thing. And the way that Mrs. French coddles Kevin and, and treats him like a baby is is part of is Yes, that's part of the DNA of the show. And I I really like that in the final, uh, the 18th script, which is the one where Kevin uh, briefly moves back to Wyoming. Like that's where Kevin realizes how much he was coddled and it's actually like driving him crazy. And he, he didn't, he didn't realize how annoying it was until he had some freedom. That's the porno star one, right? Yes. Yeah. That one is, that's a good one, man. I don't, I hadn't read that in like a decade and I read it last year and I was like, oh my God, this is so entertaining. And it like really brought everything together too. Um, that I highly, highly recommend everybody read those scripts if you, if you have the slightest bit of interest. And hopefully, by the way, if we sell this to some place, I think there's a possibility that they might, maybe they'll make those scripts. Ooh. Yeah. Now that we're on that topic, we just recorded an episode about all of the unfinished, uh, you know, materials for the potential season two or the rest of season one. And uh, we really wanted to know, like, how finalized were those scripts? Uh, Why is there only one finished animatic for an episode? Just, we're just doing internet detective work, trying to figure out, like, where all these pieces came from. Can you comment on just, like, how complete certain things were at the time and uh, like around what time things were shut down. I remember that was the absolute golden, golden of the golden ages of the show where we were naively assuming that everything was going to be great. <laughs> and they had ordered five more episodes of the show. They'd ordered five more scripts. Yeah. And this was probably about six months before the premiere and immediate collapse of the show. They'd ordered these things and we had all the time in the world to do them. And we kept the writers around and we got to spend like a week pitching out each of those stories. And I remember we were outside <laughs> in like lounge chairs and stuff and it was the most luxurious that's why those episodes are so yeah well i think those are the best among the those those are the best episodes because it was the yeah. show hitting its stride too and the reason that the stuff all got it was just because basically what happened shut everything was shut every immediately cut off and every show every episode was in a different stage of production like the last two were only had only just recently been table read and the others were already being animated they all had been recorded uh one had been storyboarded and one or two had been uh, turned into animatic and everything was just shut down immediately upon whatever it was september 20th 1999 so that's like mm. why that stuff it, everything is it is it was in a different stage of completion and hopefully as i said it, in the miraculous state that somebody not only buys Gus and wally but also wants to make those maybe we can dig that stuff out of the 
Warner Brothers archives, it's still there. Hmm. Yeah, it's like the Mary Celeste of animated shows. It's kind of just floating out there. <laughs> yeah. just, as we, just as we left it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so I, September 99 was when it stopped. Was Did you guys have hopes at first that it would restart? Because I, I found a variety article from the time where, you know, an executive at the production company said uh, was was quoted as saying, "Oh, we're gonna find another time for it. Like we're we'll it'll come back in in the winter." Like, had that been was that was that actually the plan at any point? I think we were. It was pretty obvious that it was not going to come back in any real way. Mm. We held out a we had, like everything was all closed down. We were already working on Futurama at that point. We like the offices were closed. Everybody had left and. We had hopes that they were going to do something, but putting your show on the summer in the summer is a burn off. What's called a burn off. It, it means that they're just broadcasting the episodes, you know, to recoup some of their money. And, and that's it. It's not it's not usually known as what is it? It's not a relaunch. It's, it's what right. is politely known as a burn off in TV, where it's like basically a metaphor for burning off all the remaining crops in your field so you can put something new there. No. Um, so I don't think we had any hopes. We were so pissed. We were, I cannot tell you hmm. what a huge, how hugely infuriating this was, given that how many years of effort and how many millions of dollars were put into this thing to only have it broadcast twice. Um, I I can't, you know, whatever. And then that, that <laughs> the network has, has, let me just put it this way. I don't think anybody's pining for the return of the WB network. But people are more interested in the return of Mission Hill. Definitely. Okay, so fuck you, WB <laughs> Network. God damn it. Assholes. We're putting Jesus it out there. Christ. It's true. I can't it's tell also, you how met. It's also, thank God for the fans and, and Adult Swim mm. and stuff. And that's really that. To me, like, that's the birth of the show. In yeah, a way, Adult Swim. Like, that's when people got a, a chance to see the whole thing and people got a chance to get, get into it. It's like a sh the show wasn't given a chance at all. Mm. And then Adult Swim gave it this crazy, beautiful chance. And I think that was in a way, the genesis of, of, of the fandom for the show. Absolutely. I mean, nobody would have ever heard of the show. Like, it would be it, one of those broadcast relics, like Turn On, that was only on for one episode, canceled in the middle of its first episode. Like, it, nobody would have any idea that this show existed. And also, I'd also like to say fuck you to all those critics who gave the Mission Hill bad reviews. Yeah. <laughs> because, that you know, and I, I, you know, I still remember your names, if you hear any of this, and I'm still <laughs> mad at you. I fucking canceled my uh, subscriptions to a couple different magazines because you should all go to hell. And I hate you so much. <laughs> anyway, I say, the one... We got a few good reviews, and Variety is one of them that said it was the best comedy of the year. So I really like that. Hmm. But I think the thing is that, like, again, I honestly can't understand what kind of personality can watch the first couple episodes of Mission Hill and say it was awful. I don't, I don't like. What's wrong with you that you would think? Because that? it's something Sorry. different. <laughs> it's when people are confronted with something different, they get all mad because they have to think or they have to adjust their brain, and they they want just a standard jokey joke and Heimer animated show and especially at that time when people either wanted simpsons exactly or family guy or they were too old to to get that animated shows could do things and and so it again it was ahead i say it was ahead of its time yeah. and those critics are are really probably like 80 years old now why aggravating that was aggravating I, that that certainly didn't help the show i'm sure that part of the reason it was canceled was because not only did the ratings suck but also the reviews were bad so like yeah and the thing is i found there's just such injustice <laughs> and i know that every creator says this about their show getting a bad review but i think in our I, I don't think the show was bad i think i wouldn't be able to admit it somewhat if it were bad if it had been phoned in or shitty or somehow but like I don't think that it reserved the excoriating reviews it got in a number of major publications that continue to aggravate me to this day. <laughs> uh, no, you guys, it was an Adult Swim show before Adult Swim existed. Like yeah. it was like two years too early. It's uh, like uh, it's it's really too bad. I have lots of the you know Adult Swim had a number of like one season shows, but even when you see Mission Hill along with those other uh, contemporaries of it, like I think Mission Hill stands out among those two is like the best of those but not not to not to cut overly compliment you guys but yeah. well thank you but it was also like thankfully too like they, they played it so often and it's like right. that's where also other places like teletoon in canada yeah. i think and places in south america there's a huge south american fandom hmm. of this show i mean relatively 
but huge. <laughs> but it's like so it really got shown around the world by other places, not. And no, also because honestly, let's not, I, I really appreciate Adult Swim doing that. But honestly, my guess is they did it because it was cheap. And they were getting the show for cheap. Warner Brothers was like, hey, we got this show that nobody liked. <laughs> you want to broadcast it? It's only $10 an episode. You can run it 2,000 times. And that's what they did. Now, they have adopted it. Like, it's, I know that Andy French is on their billboard or whatever. They, like, they have all those, you know, in Atlanta at their headquarters, they had, at least they had these giant paintings of all the Adult Swim stars. I know Andy French is there. So God bless them for adopting it in a more formal way. But like, I think most of those places just bought it because it was cheap. Yeah, and we were just going over the the production schedule, or sorry, the air schedule, and it was, uh, I didn't notice at the time because I couldn't find the show, but the last episode to air on WB was Unemployment Part 1, so I was like, people were just in limbo for two years not knowing what happened to the fate of Andy French. Yeah, and that's part of the show, too. Another thing that was ahead of its time, too, was it was, in a way, serialized, and it had an ongoing arc that was planned for for years. Yeah, but I yeah he was uh, supposed to change jobs every eight episodes. I think we told said that before, but that right. was the, the initial plan. Yeah, when we uh, did uh, when me and Bob watched the uh, animatic for Pink uh, Crap Gets in Your Eyes, in that one, I I thought Gwen was kind of gonna come in and out of his life, but that really was like a big that was like such a serialized moment of just growing their relationship and them officially becoming a couple plus putting Jim and Stacy together. Like uh, it, I was going to ask, it seemed like you guys were building a lot more, you know, linear storytelling than, uh, than say the Simpsons can afford. Well, that was the plan. It was to keep it is just to have our, I mean, the plan was to, for the show to go for 10. I plan in, uh, up in success was that the show would go for 10 seasons and Andy would gradually claw his way up the ladder to become basically a macro. That was, we had an, we're talking about an episode of Gus and Wally where Andy French meets us and hates us. That, <laughs> did you remember this? We discussed this, Josh? Yeah. Because Andy French, has, we had this episode, this is the ultimate masturbatory <laughs> exercise, but let me indulge me for a second. That Andy really liked, Andy was like the Simpsons and he got to come to Hollywood in 1999 and have a meeting with Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein and we were just total dicks to him and he hates us. <laughs> and so that was like, he, he's constantly running us down and stuff. And then finally when he comes, you know, when he gets successful, he just uses, he tries to screw us at every opportunity. <laughs> uh, so maybe you'll see that someday. Yeah, we've been longing for more of your voice acting uh, yeah. on TV because uh, we it's all, we always forget that you're in the show and your roles are amazing, uh, especially you, Josh, because your character is so over the top and uh, we just want more of you in uh, cartoons. <laughs> That's over the top character is much easier to portray as a non-actor. <laughs> had, had you guys oh, want... you did a gift. You gave it, don't sell yourself short. Toby is a, the performance oh. of Toby is a masterpiece. Oh, thank Absolutely. you. But I also, I should give credit to John Candy because it was, it was, it it was based partly on this crazy character I think named Stefan that John Candy played who was like a a, a giant kid, <laughs> right? In preteen world, there are a couple of sketches yeah. called preteen world that they did on SCTV, and it is the drawing looks very much like the, that character as well. But the voice is yeah, add add an oil voice maybe that's what it's yeah. The voice, I mean, the voice comes from me, <laughs> but it was influenced by that very much. Uh, had you guys wanted to do voices on Simpsons before, or was uh, was uh, was that just something you decided to do on Mission Hill? I think we. I don't think that the idea of the writers being able to do voices on the Simpsons was ever allowed, or even broke, because the actors there have like they're super pros, and I don't recall any writer ever trying to do a voice. We only. I don't did think like, it was ever thought of. Right, we did a couple of things just on the mixes where we didn't have it. Like I did the voice of that guy in the when Bart has that dream about going to. Oh jail. yeah, <laughs> and the, the guy behind the book because no one could do no one could do the talking through the microphone drive through thing. So I ended up <laughs> doing it that and but but yeah, it was very kind of verboten. But then I think we saw in other shows. Well, all, all these other shows have writers doing voices, and so it was probably after South Park came out, and we were like, Jesus Christ, those guys yeah. do all the voices on their own show. And so we were like, we'll just we'll just take these two small characters. Hmm. But honestly, now that I feel like maybe we should have a Korean guy do George Bang rather than me. That's something we'll have to discuss when we get to mm. Gus and Wally. Yeah. You know, another thing I was curious about compared to The Simpsons is that uh, definitely in the broadcast versions. Of Mission Hill, there's so much uh, and great, you know, licensed music. Whether it's like a, a, a comedy use of the song "Cherry Pie" or just like great indie music, like you know, 
uh, pavements, major leagues. Like, so uh, budget wise, did you guys have a lot to uh, use there compared to the Simpsons for, for licensed music? Well, I think we, I think we, I recall that we did have a, a very good music budget. And we also had a great guy, Sean, who was like, who was our, our indie music guru guy. Cause like mm. we're into some of that stuff, but he was really into it. And so he, his specific job was to find these great songs that would, would go with certain things. And that, that's most of the time they were pretty cheap though. Their songs weren't famous songs. They were yeah. cheap, like, cause they were indie records. And so like he was always getting huge stacks of CDs from various indie record companies. But I mean, D Josh handled all that. I don't know what he was using. Yeah. So there, but, and it was also like, that was the shame of like the DVD. I'm so glad like the DVDs came out and we pushed them to do it, but they didn't, it was so cheap that they stripped all the original music from it, which was a real shame. Yeah. The, I, I also wondered like the, the crappy crud wagon uh, script that calls for like yeah. like ten <laughs> different '80s songs. I wondered like if you guys, like how much that would have cost to do that episode. It would. I mean, it probably would have been more expensive. So, like a lot of times, you'll save the music budget for like, okay, we have this big music episode coming up. Mm -hmm. But I would hope too, with like Gus and Wally, or we'd make a deal with a some company or whatever, because there's, we want to have a lot of music of all from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, blah, blah, blah. So I think, cause I think music was an important part, a background part of the show. My recollection though, at least from the Simpsons is that the songs vary widely in how expensive they are. Like what, like if you want a George Michael song, it's going to be $20,000 a second. But if you want to have a song, it's $500 a second. Huh. So like, it's not necessarily how famous the song was. It's more like how the, who the publisher is and how much of a dick they are. As I recall, like you'd be surprised. You often were surprised at how cheap something famous was. So I guess one of our last uh, super specific questions is about the real world episode. It is such a perfect time capsule to our uh, with our fascination over that program. And uh, what we liked about it, it's it's not just a parody of the real world. Andy is in the sh literally the show, the real world. There are MTV people there. There are mentions of Puck and actual other real people on the show. Is the title of that episode an indication you were actually worried about any sort of legal action? They made us change that, as I recall, right? Hmm. Yeah, the there big, was some big ass Viacom lawsuit, was it? Yeah, that's right. I think that it was originally like something like fuck you MTV or something like the title was <laughs> something that they actually made us change. And this, and the big ass Viacom lawsuit was the result of the change. I, I don't remember specifically, but I remember we were intentionally trying to get MTV. MTV, MTV didn't give a shit about us. They never probably even heard of that thing, <laughs> but that was like, the only time anyone on Mission ever heard of the thing, like ever heard of it was then Darren Aronofsky was in the same, the guy who directed Pi. Right. And all, like, he's the same sweet director actually was in the same place where we were mixing or recording and we showed him the Pi episode, which he loved. So that was the only time that we ever actually encountered anybody that we were talking about or, or you know, om sending homages to or whatever. I also recall there's a story, isn't it, that Martin Scorsese saw, saw it because somebody's mom was working with him uh, or something. There's some story. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that seems like a good show. There's some, I think from- I do not remember, that was a good impression of Martin Scorsese, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. There's, I swear, I think it might've been Colin's mom or somebody was working with Martin Scorsese. And for some reason they showed him the clip of the show or or it was on and he, he, he commented favorably on it. Wow. Okay. That's, I'm glad I'll file that away in my- my memory scrapbook. <laughs> wow, and the yeah the I I guess one one other question I wanted to ask was about how like the the comic convention episode is another one that feels like so well observed of and way ahead of its time. Like every I think you know in the last twenty years, lots of sitcoms have done the the let's go to Comic Con episode, but you guys were way ahead of the curve there. And also like there's. Uh, not unlike how the real world feels like such a quaint throwback to what a reality show was in the 90s same too when he goes when they go to see the superhero movie and kevin's like this isn't right the remember issue 213 or whatever <laughs> like uh you you guys were way ahead of the curve on that yeah. thank you yeah i also remember <laughs> I, like because we went we went i remember doing a the la a launch at Comic-Con for Mission Hill, but it was just like, that was the days where you could just walk into any little, like little ballroom. We were in some little room, maybe there were a hundred people, but I remember doing that. And it was just like, we like, we always like, since we started on Simpsons going to Comic-Con, 
And so it was. That was the last Comic Con I ever went to. I think was that Mission Hill one. Hmm. I don't think I've been since Ah. then. And because it was, but that was back again. Like when I would, the whole point of going there was for me to go find issues of Mad in 1959. (laughs) Like there was no, there was very little other TV stuff. There was very small amount of TV stuff back then. Yeah, it just shows. Yeah, there's, there, it was only animated shows where I think we're the only like TV stuff. It shows how much uh, nerd culture has dominated, uh, you know, everything. When uh, in your 1999 show, the main character doesn't like nerd culture. Yeah, I feel like by <laughs> default, your main character must enjoy Star Wars and video games and Doctor Who and all the nerd stuff that we are all obligated to like. Yeah, I feel, well, I think it was like to, it was like Andy's into alternate. He's an alternate nerd, though he wouldn't admit mm. it. Mm. And and Kevin's. More of a the straight by the book nerd. <laughs> no, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, I felt such shame uh, watching, <laughs> when I when I was a kid watching it, and my kid, I mean, uh, seventeen, watching it and seeing Kevin say like Star Wars. Do you hear that? He thinks Jordy LaForge is in Star Wars. I was like, ah, oh, that's a, I. <laughs> I was exactly that kid. He felt seen. He <laughs> <laughs> did a good impression of him back then. That was really good because I was yeah. I was thinking of that line that Star Wars is. Just, but that's the kind of thing that like I, that's that's what I would do. Like I. I've only seen a couple episodes of Star Trek and I've seen Star Wars maybe once and one and a half times. So that's, I don't know. I feel like that's what uh, people, and like people like McGrath or whatever, a lot of people who worked on the show probably were like that. <laughs> we did. We had an assortment of all sorts of like fan, fanship <laughs> in the show. There were other people who were huge Star Wars nerds. So I guess we have reached the end of our interview with you guys. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, please tell everyone where they can find you online and maybe if you want to plug anything else, uh, throw it out there. Okay. Um, I You can find me, Josh. Uh, on, I'm just on Twitter, uh, Josh Strangehill. Uh, I'm on Twitter at that Bill Oakley, but more importantly, I'm on Instagram at that Bill Oakley mm-hmm. where, yes. I do my, where I exercise my hobby of reviewing food, fast food and snack food. I don't care if you follow me on Twitter or even do anything else other than follow me on Instagram because that's all I care about these days. It doesn't pay any money either. It's so highly entertaining. It really is. It's among my favorite things. And we know you can't say anything, but we are, we are looking forward to more Disenchantment whenever that comes, the new uh, batch of episodes. Yes. Thank you. That should be winter maybe. Okay. Uh, and yeah, even you know, even in these in these times, the the your food reviews have been been great, Bill. So thank you. Thank you. They've migrated mainly onto these stories because there's been so little. Fast food is kind of going through a slump, as you might imagine. They're not really launching a lot of new stuff. So I haven't been doing as many videos, but I I have compensated by doing far more weird homemade type stuff on my story. So uh, check it out there. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, I guess all our listeners need to spread the word about uh, Gus and Wally mm-hmm. and and uh, go out in the streets, start finding a yeah, shotgun yeah. in the yes, air. We're very hopeful, <laughs> and that fan if support is happened to us. Yeah, this is a. If anyone listening to this is an executive at HBO Max or um, Netflix, just call us up and buy the show. We don't have to go through all this rigmarole. Just call, you could you just use our Twitter handle and say you want the show and whatever. Or for instance, or if your mom or your sister or whatever or your husband is one of those executives, tell them. All they have to do is just send a message to us on on Instagram or Twitter. We're there all the time. Just buy the show. We don't have to go through all this rigmarole, people. And we've you. already got stuff ready. And also, what if Andy had yeah, two? What if Andy had two cool friends named Bob and Henry in this yeah, new series? I like that idea. Uh, yeah. I, the, the designs, I'd say the designs oh, I love are already those designs. done. Masterpieces. Oh, yes. yes. Thanks to Nina that, Matsumoto who drew us Nina in. Did. Seriously, those are so... They're such perfection really that perfect. we should put them in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she... I was honored to be drawn in that style. That was... Uh, she's, she's the best, but... All right, I guess. Uh, but yeah. Thank you guys so much, as always. Thank you. Like, oh, man. Best of luck with Gus and Wally. Yes, yeah. We, thank you. Crossing our fingers. So, yes, thanks again to Bill and Josh for being part of this interview. And, again, if you want to hear all of Talking Mission Hill, it's at patreon.com slash Talking Simpson. Sign up for 5 bucks, You'll get that. And if you want to find Bill and Josh online, Josh is at Josh Strange Hill on Twitter. And Bill is at That Bill Oakley on Twitter. And also That Bill Oakley on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're really missing out if you're not following both those guys on Twitter. I mean, if you love Simpsons history or Mission Hill updates, like, they're both keeping 
you abreast of that stuff. Plus, I mean, Bill is the foremost food critic in my mind <laughs> right now. Definitely. <laughs> and hopefully in the future, there'll be another Mission Hill interview, possibly about Gus and Wally, and we're hoping that comes to pass. So yes, yeah. thanks Tell again. all your friends about Gus and Wally. Tell yes. them to d- make it happen. Spread the word. Uh, bombard every city hall meeting with questions. Where are Gus and Wally? <laughs> I, I need answers. Sh- shove the anti-mask people out of the way and be like, no, Gus and Wally is what I need answers <laughs> This on. is more important now. So yes, thanks so much for listening. And again, uh, if you want the other episodes, go to the Patreon and we'll see you again in the future for another great interview.